Hi, you're listening to the podcast of Victory Santa Rosa. We pray that this message encourages you on your journey of faith in Jesus. We're at the second week of our series on of first importance. And last week we talked about Christ's death. We said that the resurrection is so important and the death of Christ is so important. It is of first importance, in fact, because it is by which we are saved. And so today, we'll pick up our reading from 1 Corinthians 15 pa rin, uh, pero we'll begin reading from verse 3 this time. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with us to 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 3. Let me just... Uh, there you go. Okay. Let me just find it in, in my own Bible. Okay. Let's begin reading from verse 3. And then we'll pray. It says here, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to save us, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's just pray. Lord, as we go back to this passage of Scripture and uh, recognize that the resurrection is of first importance to you and therefore also to us. Lord, allow us now to experience that same power the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is made available for us, for each of our situations. And so today, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, allow us to embrace, Lord, allow us to embrace your presence and the gift that you have made available for all of us who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The gospel is of first importance. That's what we learned about last week. Now, the idea of first importance, uh, I don't know if you're probably... I appreciate this from, pa- from Pastor Ian last week. He said that this is important and it has to be first. And then when he was saying that, while Pastor Ian was preaching last week, I remembered this, the Eisenhower Matrix. How many of you are familiar with that? <laughs> Some of you who work you know, in the corporate world, this is something that we regularly encounter, the urgent and important matrix. Basically, it says there are certain things in life that are urgent and important, quadrant one. There are certain things in life that are important, yes, but not urgent. For example, your health, your relationships. We try to put it off. It's important, but it's not really urgent. <coughs> Quadrant two. There are things that are, um, they are not important, but urgent. That's quadrant three. Do you remember those days? Nung dinadial pa po ang telepono? But we do not have caller ID. And then when the phone rings, you'll have to pick it up. But it's not necessarily important, but it is urgent. And finally, those that are not important and not urgent, which we must eliminate, okay? such as mobile legends. No, just kidding. Okay, so you know, you, you understand. You know, it has no direct implication in your life. Not necessarily important, and it's definitely not urgent. And yet, sometimes this takes most of our time. Your notifications in a in a day, okay, are may, some of them might actually fall in quadrant number four. But when we say that the gospel is of first importance. Then it is quadrant number one. One. You know why? You know why? Because it is important for sure. 
We need to be able to respond to the gospel. We need to apply the gospel in our lives on a daily basis. In fact, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need to remind yourself, which is why Jesus had to say, had to attach the, his act on the cross, his death and his resurrection to food, to drinking, to eating and drinking in order for you to be regularly reminded of his sacrifice on the cross. It's something as mundane as eating and drinking every day. You would be reminded. It's like preaching the gospel to yourself every day, preaching the power of the gospel to your life, the reality that you no longer need to do things by your own effort because it is given by grace and you simply need to walk in it, your new identity in Christ. It is important and it is urgent. Urgent because first you must respond to the gospel and urgent because we must share the gospel. If you would ask, if you would ask the Lord today, Lord, what is your agenda on earth? What exactly are you doing? His response might probably along the lines of Matthew 14 in verse 12, which says there, for this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world and then the end will come. <clears throat> Some people would already want the end to come. Yes, and it, that, you know, for, for, and that is up to God when he will come. But before he comes, he says the gospel must first be preached in all the nations, which means unless the gospel is preached to all the nations, the end will not come because God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is urgent and important, which is why as we talk about the gospel, it is of first importance. Now, last week, um, you know, I mentioned something along the lines of, what if you believed in vain? What if you believed in vain? In fact, let's read that together in verse 2. And by which you are being saved, saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, and then Paul says, unless you believed in vain. What does that mean? Well, a possible meaning or a probable meaning of this, of this particular phrase is that Corinthians, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Corinthians, is what you believed in really true? Because you see, the gospel saves you <clears throat> as you stand in it, as you hold fast to it, if indeed it is true and your faith is not in vain. How do we know that? Because the rest of the chapter tell us something similar. For example, talking about the resurrection in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If indeed the resurrection did not happen, then what you believed in is false. So I'd like to bring that challenge back to us. What if all of this whole Christianity thing is not even true to begin with? What if we've been duped? What if this is what, what if this is, has been just a, um, a very smart concoction of an individual, you know, that has led the whole world astray and we have been led to believe in something that is not true even? What if the resurrection did not happen? What if more than 2,000 years ago, this is a ho hoax to begin with? I like to say that right out. Do, are we even allowed to talk about that in church? Well, it's in scripture, so I guess we should talk about it. We should not skirt around the difficult topics. And I like to bring this back to you and me. Have you ever asked this question? Have you ever? Because one of my kids asked us this question. And you know, we were groping for answers. Buti na lang, buti na lang, our child was talking to my wife. She answers better. <laughs> so she, she was able to answer this, this better. Pero, pag inisip mo, teka lang, oo nga no, that, yeah, you're right. This question has to be asked. In fact, not only that, 
in, in, in the rest of the, in verse 19, I'm sorry, it's too small already. It says here, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Ay, grabe, kawawa naman tayo. If indeed what we've believed in, given our lives to, pastors, we've given our lives to this. We've surrendered our lives to Christ. We've forsaken whatever it is that we were doing. We're serving God full time in this. You see, what if all of this is not true? What if you've been bringing people to church and your friends to church and all of that is just, uh, it's just falsehood completely. So let's ask this question. We won't probably be able to answer it, you know, comprehensively, but let's ask this question and prayerfully may the Lord reveal himself to us this morning as we explore this truth. Uh, may I ask for the clicker na rin? There you go. Thank you. Okay. And so, back to the passage. Paul would say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And when, when Paul says this, he's saying that these things that I'm going to tell you next, when he talks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, he says this is of first importance. Now remember, when Paul went to Corinth, Corinth was a Gentile city. And because it's a Gentile city, he could actually bring a lot of things. Maybe he could bring the latest business principles. You know? That to be able to attract a crowd, to be able to engage the crowd. Maybe, or maybe he could bring the latest love, uh, ro romantic, you know, principles. Now, maybe to be able to draw a crowd. But Paul didn't do that. He said, the first thing I ever told you was this. Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. This is the first importance. Now, Paul is a learned man. You know, he's a Pharisee. And he has a lot of ideas. He has a lot of messages to begin with. Remember, as a Pharisee, their training has been to know by heart the first five books of Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. In fact, some of them might even memorize it. So here we are. Here we are. We are you know, he, here is Paul speaking to the crowd and saying, uh, you know, if I have any message, this is it. I need you guys to listen in. And for those of us worshiping online, you know, you, you, you feel that, you know, if there's any priority message that has to be, that has to come across, this has to be it. The gospel. Paul says it is of first importance. And he received it from Christ. And then this is the message, verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That phrase buried had to be said. You know why? Because Christ died. How do we know that he really died? Because he was buried. Imagine. Imagine Mary and John bringing down the body of Jesus from the cross. If I'm the mom, I'd probably really check if my son is still alive. I would not allow my son to be entombed if he is still alive. So here was Mary, the mother of Jesus herself. You know, make, and, and then John was there and they saw when Jesus gave up his spirit and that he finally breathed his last. And then when he was taken down from the cross... Um, Joseph of Arimathea, you know, went to Pilate and asked for the opportunity to, for his tomb to be, the, to be used for Jesus instead. The fact that Jesus was buried, we are sure that he died. Why is that important? Because people could just spread the idea that, you know what? Jesus did not really die. There is no resurrection. He just recovered. You know, yeah, he was really beaten and hurt at the cross, but he recovered. He recovered. Now, the problem with that thinking 
is that he was raised on the third day. You don't recover in three days with everything, with every wound, the crown of thorns on your head, and then the spear that was struck on his side, and then all of the wounds, the flogging, and, and everything that happened there. You don't recover in three days. You don't even get to stand up in three days. And yet when Jesus stood up, was raised again, appeared first to Mary Magdalene and the rest and, and the rest of the apostles. And then he appeared to the people, the, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And then after he reappeared to the to them while they were while they were having dinner behind locked doors for fear of the people who might persecute them. When Jesus appeared to them, he was up and about. And then he told them, he told them, look, 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 look. And probably there was no blood gushing out of those, right? Those were probably healed wounds. Jesus was up and about on the third day. He died and then he indeed was raised from the dead. And it says there, in accordance with the scriptures. Now the idea that, huh, really? Where in scripture does it even say that Jesus would resurrect? You'll find this in Psalm 16. In Psalm 16 it would say, you will not yet, you, you, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And in Isaiah 53 in verse 10, it would talk about Jesus after he has made a sacrifice for the sins of people, talking about the suffering servant. It would say that he his days would be prolonged. I mean, wow, he gave sacrifice and yet his days would be prolonged. So these two major scriptures speak about the resurrection, about the day that will come. And then Jesus himself would validate it. He would say, destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. And of course, to them, to the people, how, how dare you say that? It took years, decades uh, to be able, I think 42 years around that, Time. I'm not even sure now. But, you know, it took that long to be able to set up this temple and you're telling us you'll be able to raise it up in three days. And then Jesus would also say, I have authority to lay down my life. I have authority to bring it up again. So Jesus validates what is prophesied in Scripture in the Old Testament, validates it during the time that he was preaching and talks about his resurrection. And at least three times in Scripture, he would talk to his disciples again. He would say, tell them, the Son of Man, will be handed over to the leaders, to the religious leaders, when we get to Jerusalem. But on the third day, he will rise again. He would say that over and over to them. The resurrection, the resurrection, think about that. Did the, did the resurrection really happen? Well, at least in accordance with scriptures, prophesied in the Old Testament, repeated by Jesus in the New Testament, and then validated by the Apostle Paul, saying that, the resurrection indeed happened. Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Now, uh, something interesting. I, I had a chance to read this book around two years ago. It's called Cold Case Christianity. Uh, do you see Pastor Rice Brooks forward written? You know, because this was, uh, I, I guess, uh, it was used in relation to God's Not Dead, the movie. Now, this, this particular book asks this question. Did the resurrection really happen? You know who, who was the one who wrote it? A homicide detective. And then he would say, eh, ano siya, medyo sikat siya sa US. And he, this guy's not a believer. But eventually, he did believe. And then when he became a believer, he realized, let me use my homicide skills to be able to validate if the resurrection really happened. Think about that. I, let me use my homicide skills, okay, my detective skills to really know. 
And he considered the case of Jesus to be a cold case. Those of you in the service, whether in the military or police, you understand what that means, right? These are cases that are cold. They've been closed already in the past. When you think about it, they already, you know, somebody said it cannot be solved or it's unsolved. It's an unsolved murder mystery. So there, it's already there and it's just in the filing cabinet. And then this guy treated the resurrection as that. Why cold case? This happened millennia ago. That's the case, that's the usual situation with cold cases that happened 30, 40 years ago. And yet, because of modern technology, they would still be able to solve it. DNA testing, you know, they go back to, they, they, you know, they're able to do it now. So he did that. And when he took a look at the cold case, his conclusion was, by all means, this case is closed. This case is closed. Yes, the resurrection indeed happened. And then he would talk about eyewitness accounts. He talked about, he considered the four Gospels to be eyewitness accounts. He reviewed every single one of them. He reviewed the original manuscripts. And he even took, uh, took it from a lens that if I'm investigating this and I'm talking to these four guys, these four Gospels, does that really make sense? In fact, he even validated the different the nuances, the different perspective, because there are certain things that are not exactly matched, right? In the Gospels, when you read it, what exactly happened? Why does Matthew say it this way? Why does John say it this way? And then he actually validated that's actually, that's actually true for eyewitness accounts because of the different perspectives. In fact, if this was a hoax, if this was something that was written, that was put together and fabricated, they would, that would be the first thing that they would remove the inconsistencies. But just the fact that these gospels circulated in the early church and they received it as scripture, then these are really eyewitness accounts. And based on, he would say, circumstantial evidence. When we remember, when we encounter circumstantial evidence, we'd say, that evidence is circumstantial. We feel like it's less. But for cold cases that happened decades ago, it's actually a significant thing. Because when they corroborate each other, when they support each other, then you would come to a plausible conclusion. And he would say, this case is closed. The resurrection is a historical fact based on the eyewitness accounts, based on certain details in the Gospels. And because of that, you can safely conclude that historically, indeed, the resurrection happened. That's amazing. Uh, you could actually get that book too if you would be interested in something like that. Does that make sense? Now, eyewitness accounts, we have got the four Gospels. But then Paul would say, there are others. First, he appeared to save us. And then to the twelve. And then to 500 at one time. The author of the book would say, it's difficult, you know, when, when there are two people who would say, conspire. We'll conspire and say that this is the, our story. He would say, every time I would interview them, there would be certain inconsistencies in their stories if they would conspire. So it's actually difficult to conspire even just for two people who would be on the same page. But if you've got 500 witnesses validating, this could not have been a public hallucination. Hindi, ayan na si Jesus. Ayan na, oh, ayan na, mukhang siya. Parang yun nga ang itsura. And then 500 people would validate. At ito pa yung matindi. Not only that, he would say, most of whom are still alive. Paul would not write a letter where you could actually, you know, if it was not true, if you could validate it with people who are still alive, whom you could actually go to and say, did the resurrection really happen? Oh yes, anak, for sure. Oh yes, apo, for sure. I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw Jesus talk to us. I saw, I, I, I saw Jesus ascend to heaven. And you've got 500 witnesses being able to validate that, most of whom are still alive. 
it's difficult to put this together. Historically speaking, it's difficult to be able to put this together if this was indeed a hoax. And finally, Paul would say, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. All of that to say, the resurrection indeed happened. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. What you believe in, historically, actually happened. Now that sets Jesus apart immediately. Because every religious leader in the world died. And they remained dead. Jesus is the only one who was raised back from the dead, validated by witnesses, validated by history, validated by critical analysis. We just don't have a satellite video of that time yet, okay? Sana nga meron, ano? Pero even with that, we can safely conclude that in the same way that we believe, you know, in the works of, the Il- of, of Homer, for example, the Iliad, did you know that there are only five extant copies of the Iliad? Only five. Only five. That mean, and they, they would validate the person Homer because he wrote the Iliad because we have five. Did you know that in terms of the manuscripts of the New Testament, we have more than 1,600 extant manuscripts. It means I mean extant existing manuscripts. Still existing. Still, uh, you know, you, you can feel it. It's tangible. It's there. And that validates the claims that is found in the Gospels of Jesus' resurrection. Yes, the resurrection indeed happened. What's the significance? So why is the resurrection of first importance? Why is it important for us to be able to establish that historically this indeed happened? Because, because, because of this passage. Romans 1 verse 4, Paul would say again, and he, referring to Jesus, no, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Apparently, The resurrection validates that Jesus is the Son of God. That because He was resurrected and He said it prior. Remember, He said it prior, right? He said, oh, I'm going to die. But then after I die, I'll be raised back from dead after three days. And then it actually happened. Paul would say, come on now. What other proof would you need? He is the Son of God. And the people who actually encountered Him. Remember, Paul, uh, Paul did not encounter Jesus during the 40 days after His resurrection. He did not. Only the disciples, only the rest of the 500 disciples, they were the ones who encountered Jesus. And yet Paul would say the significance of that event is that he was declared to be the Son of God with power, with power. Why? Because, the, et, eto, let me put it this way, Jesus claimed to be God. There was a point in John chapter 5 or chapter 7, and the, Jesus was saying, what from among the, my miracles are you stoning me for? No, none of them. We're not stoning you for any of the miracles. We're stoning you because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus was very clear about it to the people. So here, here you've got a man who has, uh, who has a very high moral standing, who claims to be God, and then who would be resurrected from the dead. Then you have no choice but to believe him. You cannot say, oh, Jesus, you are a great teacher. I will follow your teachings. No. If you follow his teachings, you believe everything he says, then his claim is God. You have no choice but to believe he is God because you cannot relegate him to something lower. He is not lower than being son of God himself. If you believe that everything, that what he teaches is true, then you have to believe everything that he says. Then naturally you would believe Jesus is the son of God. 
And if Jesus is the Son of God, that's huge implications on the way you surrender your life to Him as Lord. Huge implications. He is the Son of God. He was declared with power to be, son of, to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. Did you know that that same power is made available for you? The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the Spirit, it says there, right? The Spirit of holiness who is now present in your life. And you do not have a smaller Holy Spirit than the Holy Spirit that Jesus received. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now able to raise you, raise you, raise your situation. Now, I appreciate this. Uh, I, I don't, that was Pastor Miko, right? Pastor Miko, when you talked about that, that whole idea of the resurrection power of God coming on us, the, the, you know, the, the idea is this. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then nothing in our lives could ever be not resurrected. Does that make sense? Even if, for example, it's already dead. Oh, my situation is dead. There is no hope. I'm rock bottom. Then right in that moment, the Lord speaks into your life and breathes life. And if Jesus was raised from the dead, resurrected from the dead, then your situation can receive the same life that the Holy Spirit gives. Come on. I mean, that is awesome. Lord, help me believe. Help me believe. God, help me believe. Because to people who would believe, they will experience the same spirit of holiness. Proving that God is indeed your God as you surrender to Him. By the power that will be at work in you. The resurrection power that was at work more than 2,000 years ago. Now at work in your life. There is nothing in your life that could ever be not revived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you please believe that? You know what? Are you, uh, us as, your, as pastors, as your pastors, we so desire that for you. We pray that you would believe it. You know why? Because faith is personal. We cannot believe for you. But we so desire for the breakthrough of God to happen in your life. Please believe. Please believe. Believe for the sake of your family. So that the resurrection power of God may be made manifest in your life. And then to the rest of your family. Believe. The resurrection indeed happened. And Jesus is indeed the Son of God. That's solid. He's indeed the Son of God. And when you believe, your faith is valid. Your faith is not in vain. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. Never in vain. What you've believed in, what has been historically passed on to us from the early church, Passed on generation after generation. And that same gospel that initially circled only Asia Minor, that eventually got to Europe, that eventually got to the US, that then eventually missionaries brought it to us here in the Philippines. That same gospel that has crossed continents has finally reached you and your family. This was news only in Jerusalem supposedly. But across generations it has finally reached us and has brought life to your life. Your faith is valid. You have believed rightly. Hold on to that faith. Do not let go of your faith. Your faith is valid. You have not believed in vain. And your faith will bear fruit. I pray you may hold fast to it. And you would not let go. Because the resurrection indeed happened. Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And our faith is valid. In the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it would say, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised 
from the dead. So Paul, Paul, his cynical mind, remember, he was Saul the Pharisee, who so strongly believed that the way is heresy. The way is what they called the Christians of those early times. That the way is heresy and comes against the Judaism, the religion that he grew up in. This soul, this guy who is so strong in his faith, so persistent, so, so, so stubborn in his belief to the point that he would literally drag people out of their homes, get their homes confiscated, bring them to prison, bring them to the courts because of what he believes. He would believe that strongly. He's now on the other side saying, man, I have believed wrongly. Your faith, your faith is valid. You have not believed in vain. In fact, Christ has been raised. Christ has been raised. Thank you, Lord. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which is why if you go back to verse 2, where it says, unless you believed in vain, and this is where we tie this all together. For those of you worshiping with us online, I'm praying that this would come across to you too. Do you feel it? <laughs> Do you feel it too? That man, Lord, this is awesome. God, we have not believed in vain. We have not believed in vain. You have not believed in vain. You can hold fast to the gospel. You can hold on to it because it is by which you are saved. It is by which you are saved. So just to summarize all of that, this resurrection indeed happened. Jesus is indeed the Son of God and our faith is valid. Christ's resurrection, His resurrection proves Himself to be the Son of God and validates our faith, your faith, my faith, our family's faith, the faith of generations, the faith of everyone who has believed ever since the New Testament church, that history of the church itself is validated because Jesus resurrected from the dead and more, and that's enough. That's enough. That's enough to be able to validate everything that we believed in. If Jesus was able to resurrect himself from the dead, now he said, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to raise it up again. If Jesus was able to do that, then everything he, else that he said, it's probably true also. And you have rightly believed. This has been the Victory Santa Rosa podcast. To see more church updates, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Victory Santa Rosa.